back with us. I saw her out there, I'm like, oh yeah, Erica. Wait, wait, Erica's here. What's Erica doing here? She's not supposed to be, well, you're supposed to be here. Okay, you're welcome, you're welcome. Uh, so today, we are starting like a new um, sort of series. We're, we're actually just finished the Heal series, which is basically um, a series that uh, we talked about how Christ changes us, how he sanctifies us. And, and so um, I want to start a series today called Feel, and it's on emotion, and we're going to do it for five weeks. And this series has been about four years in the making because I've often thought that I want to do a series on emotion because, um, because some of you guys are so screwed up, seriously. No, I'm not, I don't mean that. I'm just saying that, you know, all of us, I think many of us don't really understand how to handle emotion. There's a lot of lies out there from the church and from culture about how to, about how to handle emotion. So we're going to talk about this. And so... Four years in the making, so this series better be good, right? And so um, I want to let you know this morning, there, I think there are two extremes people fall into, two mistakes people make when it comes to emotion. Uh, the first mistake that they make is someone who is ruled by emotion, right? Good. My next slide should have these up there if you have my slide there. Uh, so two mistakes people make. One is ruled by emotion. I'm sure there's someone that pops into your mind when you hear that, that, someone who's ruled by emotion, um, there's a certain face that pops into your mind, like as far as someone you're thinking of that, um, that might struggle with that, but don't judge this morning, okay, because um, it might be you too, by the way, um, and there's also another way we make a mistake with emotion, and that is to stuff our emotions, to just put it under the rug and act like they're not there, so two extremes we fall into typically um, when it comes to how we handle emotion, so the first one. Some people will say things like, you know, listen to your heart, or that's where the whole YOLO thing came from, right? Like, listen to your emotions, um, follow your heart. If you feel it, then do it. Um, that's one extreme. Other people will say, emotions can't be trusted, so don't listen to them. That's the other extreme. In fact, um, I'm really ashamed to, to say this, but, and I don't want this... I don't want this movie to enter into my sermon, but I'll go ahead and say it anyway. So my little daughter, who's four years old, um, what do you think her favorite movie is of all time? Frozen. You guys know her so well. <laughs> and what character do you think she relates to the most, that she likes the most? Okay. So how many of you guys got thoroughly annoyed at all the Elsas on Friday at Halloween that you saw? Right? You did? I wanted to trip those girls. Because I was tired of seeing the Elsa outfit, and I saw one girl that had like a little, um, like the song Let It Go, like played from, <laughs> she, it played from her dress. Like she'd push a button and she's like twirling around, and I'm like, I'm going to trip that girl. What, in the, what is wrong with her? And, but you know, when you, when you think about that song, I, I, I hate to use this song in my sermon, but I will. So um, the, the words are conceal, don't feel. Like this, this song is all about this, right? It's about someone who hides their emotions, conceal, don't feel, and she ends up in an ice palace all by herself, right? <laughs> She's isolated. And so you can see someone who doesn't quite know how to handle emotion or her powers that she has, right? And so, um, so I wanna sh let, me, let me show you this. What do people say when they start crying? What do they say? I'm sorry, right? Someone starts crying and they start getting like emotional. What do they, they go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like they owe us an apology. 
for showing emotion. I mean, no one ever says, sorry, I'm so stoic. Sorry, I'm not showing any emotion right now, right? No one ever, no one ever apologizes for saying, for not showing emotion, but people apologize for showing emotion. This is how many of us think. And so I think what's, what's been fed to us in our culture and also in the church is that we see showing emotion as wrong, but not showing emotion as the way things are supposed to be. You ever been in, in a movie before, and um, especially this is true, for, especially for guys, but been in a movie, and it's a really emotional movie, and for a guy um, to lose it over a movie is a real shameful thing, right guys? you agree with that? And so you're getting a little emotional, and there's that one little tear starting to form in the corner of your eye, and you're like just doing those facial grimaces, like trying to hold it in, you're just like, And then one little tear drops out, and you're thinking, God, the theater is dark, right? No one can see you crying. And so, for some reason, we see emotion as like this shameful thing, like we have to apologize for it. We're not allowed to show any kind of emotion, or um, it means that we're somehow weak. And so some people exalt emotion so high they're ruled by it, but other people look down on emotion, and many people go between these two extremes, because what happens sometimes is the people who are ruled by emotions and are just complete and total drama, right? We all know people like that. Then the people on the other end of the, other end of the spectrum, they don't like those kinds of people, right? And so they go to the opposite extreme and they begin just to stuff everything and push everything down and not show any emotion because they don't want to be like that. And this is how many of us live. And so I want to show you a quote, a guy named Matthew Elliott, he wrote a book um, on emotion. He says, for years we've been taught by our culture and in our churches that emotions are not to be trusted, that reason and knowledge and logic are the firm foundation on which to build our faith and our spiritual lives, that it's our, at, that it's our attitudes and actions that matter, not how we feel about things. So there's this lie being put to us by our culture and also I think by the church that, that emotions don't really matter. In fact, you may have heard me say this, and I'll admit to you, I've said it mistakenly, that maybe it doesn't matter how you feel as long as you, what? Obey, right? It doesn't matter how you feel as long as you obey. This is the lie, I think, that the church often we fall into. And so... Some people will say, um, as I read that quote, you're, some of you guys are going to react and you're going to say, okay, so are you saying that we should live our life based on our feelings? We should just do whatever feels right and live life based on feelings? And I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying to you is that maybe we have done the opposite error and we have so killed emotion, we've committed the opposite extreme error. Maybe that's been done in the church as well. And so um, we also see these two extremes at work, I think, with, with the genders, with males and females. How many of you guys would agree with the stereotype? Uh, raise your hand, guys and girls. Raise your hand if you think guys stereotypically are not as emotional. Raise your hand. Think that's true? Okay. Some of you think that. How many of you guys think that, um, stereotypical I know, that girls are a bit more emotional than the guys are. You think it's true? Think it's true? I guess some of you guys think it's true. 
Now, I want you to see this, though. Listen, um, I'm not saying this is the case, but I think generally speaking, people would say that girls are more emotional than guys are. I would actually disagree with that, and I would tell you that guys are emotional. It just comes out different. It often comes out in anger, right? Like, you ever, you ever see a basketball game and fists just start flying over some little stupid foul? Is that not an emotional reaction? Is it? So, so guys are emotional. Guys are emotional. It just comes out different. It comes out usually in anger. And um, what happens if a guy starts crying? Some guys will say things like, Stop acting like a, what? A girl, right? And here's what happens. Watch. Watch this. Listen. So there's a stereotype out there with the guys and girls. Guys will say, stop acting like a girl. And girls hear that. And then what girls start to do is they begin to shut down their emotions as well because they want the respect of the guys, they don't want to be seen that way as emotionally weak. And so what's happening, I think, I've actually seen this, I think, a lot more in the last few years, that girls very often now are just leaning more towards the stuff their emotions because they don't want to be seen as the typical girl, the girly girl, right? They don't want to be seen that way. So they, they go to the other extreme. And I'm going to say to you that I think for some reason in the church and in our culture, we have come to see emotion as weakness, and it's completely not biblical at all. And so I want you to do your first four questions at your tables. Go through questions one through four at your tables and discuss. All right, so who needs more time? All right, I want to take a quick survey. You just lift your hands up when I ask this question. So, so when I just say the word emotions, how many of you just think negative? Just raise your hand real quick. Like your mind instantly goes negative. If I say the word emotion, you just instantly think negative. Okay, at least you're honest. That's good. Uh, so most of us, I think, um, probably... Uh, feel that way to an extent, but here's the reality. God created us with emotion. This was not like some accident. God created us with emotion. In fact, I would say one evidence of that is um, since we all text message now, uh, what are the little symbols called that you send people? Emoticons or emojis, and um, what are they meant to convey? They're meant to convey emotion that can't be sent in a text message, right? Because People got so tired of thinking their friends were always angry at them, right? Like when you say, hey, can you come over tonight? And the answer is just no, and that's it. Like, wait, come on, a laugh out loud or a smiley face would be nice, right? I mean, like at least act like you like me. And so the deal is, is that you and I, listen, <clears throat> that you and I are created with emotions. Um, we, are, we are emotional beings. And, um, and that can be tainted with sin, just like anything else in our life can be tainted with sin. But I want to show you this morning that emotions are not inherently evil. They're not inherently evil. So if God created us with emotions, 
The question is, what role should they play in our lives? So I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12 this morning. Romans 12, verses 9 to 15. <clears throat> Romans 12, 9 to 15. And I think this passage will be the beginning of some passages that will show us, hopefully, the role emotion is meant to play in our lives as Christians. So look at Romans 12, verse 9. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And do not be conceited. So we see emotional language all over this text. We see words like love, hate, honor, zeal, spiritual fervor, joy, hope, rejoice, weep. And so Paul's telling the Romans, he's saying to truly love each other. He's telling them to hate what's evil. He's saying to love with genuine affection, delight in honoring each other, serve God enthusiastically, rejoice with those who rejoice, and to weep with those who weep. These are emotional words that Paul is using in this passage. In fact, he's not saying to, as a Christian, he's not saying, okay, do all of these things as your spiritual activity and do them it's okay to do them completely detached from emotion. That's not what he's communicating in this passage. He is showing something, I think, really profound. That as you do these things, there is supposed to be an emotion, a feeling attached to them as a Christian. This is what Paul is telling the Romans how they should be living their life. And so you and I might ask the question, okay, well, okay, I understand God... Um, God can command our actions, he can command our behaviors, but our emotions, like how, how can God command our emotions? I mean, everyone knows that we can't um, really control what we feel, right? Hey guys, over here, I need y'all to calm down over there. I'm like hearing nothing but talking over there. And I know you're talking about this. I know you are, but just please stop for now. Thank you. Um, so... Many of us feel like we can't, that God can't command our emotions. Like, how, how does he command us how to feel? Um, I thought we can't control how we feel. I thought that's what is true about us. And so I want you to look closer um, at this because let's take a look at just one of these commands where he says, hate what is evil. So when God says, hate what is evil, is God just saying, okay, don't commit acts of evil. Just as long as you're obeying me externally, don't, don't commit acts of evil. Is that what he means by that? Or does he mean something else when he says you should hate evil? Is he saying it's, it's okay to be drawn to evil as long as you don't do something that actually is evil? Well, when you read the passage, it sounds like that he's telling us that there's a certain way we should feel about evil. As a Christian, there's a certain way we should feel towards evil. This is where I think many Christians... And I include myself in this. Many of us, we resort to the phrase, something like, well, as long as you're obeying God, 
it doesn't really matter how you feel. Your emotions don't really matter. That's what many of us, I think, would, would say is true of us. But this passage seems to say that emotions matter. That how you and I feel about things actually matters. And so it's saying that we should really love people, really delight in honoring them, really rejoice, and really weep with people when they're suffering. And so I think what he's trying to communicate is that the Christian life is not meant to be just a bunch of emotionally detached spiritual activities. In fact, I think other passages, I think, point to this as well. I want you to turn over to John chapter 14. Turn to John chapter 14. And I think we see this same pattern in other verses where we see this real strong connection between how we're supposed to feel and our ability to obey God. So look at John 14, verse 15. And it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, of course, Jesus is talking here. And I think what you see in this small little, ver- this small little verse here is that love leads to obedience. Love leads to obedience. I think many of us, if we're honest, we just care about outward obedience. In our minds, we just think, well, as long as I'm obeying him outwardly, I'm fine. But that's, what, that's what really matters, right? And that does matter. But this verse seems to say that loving him passionately also matters. And loving him passionately is going to be what fuels your obedience. Because I will tell you this morning that if you... If we do not have a passionate love for Jesus Christ, then our obedience is going to be short-lived. Or at best, it will just be, it'll be short-lived at best. At worst, it'll just be passionless for the rest of your life. You'll have no zeal. You'll have no passion for him. It'll just be your spiritual activity. That's all it is to you. And so true obedience is fueled by a passionate love for him. In fact, I would say any obedience not rooted in him, not rooted in love for him is not going to last. It's going to be just a game for you, just a spiritual Christian church game, if that's all it is for you. And so if you, if you and I love him passionately, the fruit of that's going to be borne out in our lives. And so if I were to tell you that I love my wife, but my life shows no evidence of that, what would you call me? You call me a liar, right? You, you would say, well, well Dave, I, I don't see any evidence of your love for your wife in your life. And so, so if, if my life shows no evidence of love for her, then you have a right to call me a liar. And so um, our love for Christ is going to be what leads us to obedience uh, with him. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. It says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so in the church in Corinth, there are some, there are some people in Macedonia that are extremely poor, extremely impoverished. And what Paul says about that church is that even though they're in this extreme poverty uh, situation, 
um, it has overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. So he's saying that essentially that their joy in their affliction leads them to sacrifice. These people had such an overflowing joy that though they were poor, they still sacrificed of what they had and gave to other people. And so I want you to see this again. Again, because of the joy they felt, they gave. Their emotion, their joy led to them giving to these other people. In fact, you could say that their giving completely flew in the face of logic. You know, people that are emotional, more emotional, um, they get accused oftentimes of, yeah, they're too emotional. They're not grounded in reason or logic and knowledge, right? Because that's the higher good. But here you see someone who is so joyful that in spite of their poverty, they give out of what they had. They did something totally illogical, totally irrational, something that wasn't based on just the circumstances and reason and what makes sense. But they gave out of their joy for people and they sacrificed what they had. It flew in the face of logic. And so whenever I think, I think whenever you and I hear the word emotion, many of us think negative. But here we see emotion when properly rooted in the gospel and in Jesus Christ, we see it used for some pretty incredible kingdom work. How many of you guys were in the main service this morning up, up, and up, up across the parking lot? So you heard Chase's talk about um, Orphan Sunday. And I want you to see this. How many of you think that when someone walks into an orphanage thinking about adoption, how many of you think that emotion plays a role in their decision? I, I would say that it, for every single person it probably does, does it not? That they don't walk in there just with some emotionally detached perspective just saying, well, you know, I read a verse in James that says we should care for widows and orphans, and so I guess I'll go do that. Like, that's not how they're approaching it. They walk in there and see someone who is fatherless, who is motherless, and there's an emotion that rises up, and they say, I want to play the role that's not being played in that person's life right now. And there's an emotion that is driving them, carrying them to do some pretty incredible kingdom work. This is the role of emotion that can take place in our lives. I want you to turn over now to... Um, also, for, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, so it's probably on the same page in your Bible. Chapter 7, verse 10. It says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so here in this passage, you see, I think, something pretty profound, that, that sorrow, godly sorrow, godly grief leads to Repentance. I know, once again, many of us think of repentance, we just think of it as like, well, I guess I'm supposed to stop committing this sin and start going to church and doing spiritual activities and just going to kind of turn my life around. I'm just going to stop sitting over here and start doing these other activities, and that's how we visualize repentance. That's not really repentance. Repentance is something deeper than that, and this passage talks about a sorrow a godly sorrow, a godly grief that leads into repentance. And so um, 
Again, you can change your behaviors all you want. You can change the externals all you want. But unless there is something happening internally in you, some godly grief, some godly sorrow that's driving repentance, it's going to be short-lived. It's not going to last. It's going to be passionless and fruitless. There's nothing behind it. And so we see that the emotion of sorrow can lead to something that God wants, and that's repentance. I think many of us... um, our repentance is just mechanical. It's just machine-like. It's just our heart. There's no sorrow in our heart. There's no understanding of who God is, no understanding of who we are before God, unholy, and he is holy. There's no understanding of how serious sin really is. There's no understanding of how seriously it affects our relationship with him. I've said this many times here, but I'll say it again, that Sin is not just a violation of a rule. It's a violation of a relationship. Sin is not just a violation of some detached rule. It's a violation of a relationship with God. This is why in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, what image does God use to talk about his people turning their back on him? He uses the image of adultery. Like, I I can't imagine a more painful human experience, then you're married to someone and that person goes and has sex with someone else. Like there's no, there's no category for, what, for, for something more painful than that, I think, at least from a human perspective and experience. And this is the analogy that God uses to depict his people turning their back on him and turning towards idolatry and sin. It's adultery. And do you think God used that picture for a reason? Do you think he was trying to show like how serious sin is or how it should affect us? Like how we should be so sorrowful for what we have done as sinners? Do you think there's a reason why he uses that picture and that analogy for for hopefully producing real repentance in us as we see that kind of relational violation that you and I do before God? And I think until you and I see sin that way, listen, there's no way that we're going to really truly feel sorrow, that kind of sorrow for our sin, unless we see sin as spiritual idolatry. We just won't. We'll just see it as a rule. Yeah, I broke a rule. What's the big deal? Everyone does it. Everyone breaks rules. Rules are meant to be broken right anyway. And so unless we see sin in that light, you and I are never going to experience that kind of godly sorrow that God wants us to experience that will hopefully lead to repentance. And so I know as I say all these things that some of you guys might feel a little bit, um, you know, terrified. You might think, okay, well, what if I don't feel any of those things you're talking about? Like, what, what if I don't hate sin? What if I don't have a true sorrowful repentance? What if I don't feel any of those things? What if I don't genuinely have an affection for other people? What if I just don't feel those things? Like, what do I do with that? And I want to show you this morning how when you pay close attention to your emotions, this is where it can lead to real spiritual growth for you. I don't want you to be afraid this morning of of my words that, um, oh, that means you're not, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm just trying to let you know this morning that this is where paying attention to even your negative emotions or lack of emotions This is where it can lead to some real spiritual growth for you in your life. The answer is not to completely ignore them. 
Another quote by Matthew Elliott, he says, um, emotions good and bad, flowers and weeds, must be dealt with, but they should never be ignored. So I want to show you what this looks like in life. So take the first one we talked about. We talked about hating sin. What if I don't really hate sin? We talked last week about how um, there's what the Christian wants, kind of our fleshly, um, external desires, sinful desires, and there's what the Christian really wants, which is once you've been transformed by the Spirit, you do have some spiritual desires deep down in you that God has placed there. Those are there. So at a fleshly level, there's what we want. We still struggle with sin. But at a deeper level, a deeper desire, there's what the Spirit wants for you, and that is to obey God. And so what I'm talking this morning about is if, if you don't find in yourself a real hatred for sin at that deeper level, then what I know about me is that it means something's wrong in my heart. It, it indicates something is off. Something has become more valuable to me than Jesus Christ, and there's some idolatry going on there. And so what I can do is I can pay attention to my emotions, how I feel. If I find in myself saying things like, I know it's wrong, I just don't feel like it's wrong. Then you know something's off in your heart. You know something is, is in disarray in your heart. You know there's someone or something that's become more important to you than Jesus Christ. And it's now a chance for you to confess your idolatry to him. This is what role it can play in your life. So paying attention to how you feel about things gives you and I a chance to confess the deeper sin issues that we have in our lives. Or take the one about genuinely loving other people. Okay, so what if I don't feel genuine love for someone? What then? Well, don't just ignore that, okay? Um, You've got to now ask some deeper questions. That ask questions like, okay, why do I not have love for this person? Um, am I harboring some bitterness or anger towards them for something they've done to me? Or maybe they're just not popular enough for me to love. Maybe that's the issue. And so you begin to ask yourself some deeper questions about your life that can hopefully get to the deeper issue, the deeper problem, and you can now get into the hard work of what repentance should look like. And so emotions can reveal our deeper sins and where you and I have to repent at a deeper level, right? I'll give you a real personal um, example for me. So um, I got, had a chance to speak for Gary about two weeks ago in the main service. And I'll tell you guys, it's really fun to do that. But, um, but man, it can be nerve-wracking because, you know, you get like one or two shots a year at that, right? And you don't want to screw it up, right? And in here, I'm comfortable. I feel like this is my domain. I'm used to this. This is what I'm used to. And I get up there, and it's like there's three services. I mean, saying the same thing three different times, that's kind of nerve-wracking. And so there's, I've noticed that as Gary says, okay, you're going to speak on this date, that um, the day on the calendar kind of looms large. I'm like, okay, that's, i got to start working on that a few weeks ahead of time and get it nailed down and stuff. And, and I can get kind of fearful and anxious of those kinds of situations, right? I'll be totally honest with you this morning. And what I've noticed, though, is when I'm confronted by that, emotional response of fear, I really have three options. I've got three options. One is to let my emotions take over and rule over me and dominate me. The second response could be to stuff my emotion and say, well, 
I'm not supposed to feel that. I'll pretend like it's not there. Or the third response could be asking some deeper questions about why I'm having that kind of fear and anxiety about something like that. Here's what I've noticed. When I start asking questions like, okay, what's behind that fear? What's behind that anxiety? I realize that it's really a fear of failure. It's really a fear of it's not going to be good enough. People are going to say, oh, Dave, that, that was okay. That wasn't great, but it was okay. Or people are going to say, um, what it shows is that I'm finding my significance and my value in my work and not in Jesus. That's what it really shows. So when I struggle in those ways, I now have something new to pray and talk to God about, something new to confess to him, something new to repent and turn from. It's not just the external sin. It is now the inward heart sin of finding my identity in my job, finding my value and my significance in what I do for a living. That's really what's at the core of that kind of fear and anxiety. So this is a way I think that God wants to use emotion in our lives. It forces us to ask deeper questions than we're used to asking. And it shows you and I where we need to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And so I ask you again this morning, where do you find yourself? I want to go back to the two extremes, ruled by emotions or someone who stuffs your emotions. You know what camp you tend to fall into. And so where do you find yourself this morning? Are you someone that is ruled by your emotions or someone that stuffs your emotions? My hope is that as we start this series, wherever you find yourself, that you'll see how God wants to grow you and sanctify this area of your life. And here's the thing for this series. I'll make a deal with you. That no one in the room for this series gets to say, well, that's just my personality. Like, no one gets to say that here today, the next four weeks, okay? Because, yeah, you might lean towards one or the other in your personality, but God wants to do so much more in and through your emotion than you ever thought imaginable. And so my hope is that you open yourself up to that the next four weeks or so, and God can do some real uh, amazing healing in your life as a result of that. So go ahead and finish your discussion. Last four questions.